Church, good morning. Worship team, thanks for leading us this morning. So my name's Tim. I have the pleasure of being able to serve here at Hazelwood Baptist Church. And if you got a Bible with you today, open up to 1 Peter. We're marching through 1 Peter, friends. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep moving forward. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the tail end of chapter 1 today. 1 Peter 1 Verses 22 through 25. 1 Peter 1, verses 22 through 25. Some pages still flipping, I hear them. It's okay. If you got it, say you got it, friends. Very good. If you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word, please? The Spirit of God, through Peter, to us today. This is the word of the Lord. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though the living, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is God's word to us today. You can be seated. I was talking with someone at the end of first service, um, and they made, a, they, they made a quick comment that um, the, the American incarceration system, it's a little bit different than how the rest of the world works. Apparently, allegedly, we're like the only Western country left that does solitary confinement. Did you know that? Apparently other nations, I don't know, again, we, you can fact check me. You can Google it, get your phone out, Google it right now. Um, something happens when you're left alone for a really long period of time. Studies show now that people that are alone, that don't have community, that they can rest in and trust in, um, anxiety goes through the roof for them. Um, depression. Um, depression is a big deal for people that are alone. Studies even show, as, as goodness, as, as late as the beginning of 2013, um, older folks that spend a lot of time alone are more likely to develop dementia. Like, there's a need for community. It's hardwired in, in us. I'd submit to you that it's not the biggest need that we have. If you're taking notes, the, the, the first thing we'll see is that gospel power calls us, requires us, challenges us to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed. We need to be made clean. 
The seismic truth found in the Bible is that you and I don't just need help. We need to be rescued and we need to be saved. Needing help is like when I'm on the side of a road and I need someone to help me change a tire, right? Give me a, a, a helping hand. The, the Bible doesn't talk about our predicament in like Jesus coming along and giving us a hand. The Bible gives different pictures of this really big seismic truth, though, in a couple of different ways. The, the, the problem and the solution that's presented, we see first as a battlefield, Christ defeats the powers of sin and darkness on our behalf. Or exile, Christ was exiled from his home to bring us to his home. Or what we heard last week, this language or this picture of the marketplace where you and I were slaves to sin. And Jesus purchases us. For, he actually gives us freedom through his death and resurrection. The courtroom, you see this a lot in the book of Romans. Christ stands in front of a judge to receive my guilt and he receives my punishment so that I might be acceptable to God. The language that he uses today, though, Peter uses today, is yet a different picture. He's using temple language here. How does he start the, 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 the section here? He says, having purified your souls... He's talking to a big group of people across the Asia Minor, 720,000 square miles. That's a, that's a lot of land. He's talking to a lot of believers there. He's saying that there was once a problem that they had to reckon with, that they had to deal with. What was it? It's the same problem that we just heard from all these different pictures, this different language. It's the problem of sin. And specifically what happens when we do sin, sin leaves an indelible mark on us, on our hearts and on our souls. Sin changes us. Sin shapes us. Sin maligns us. We still have dignity and value but still at the same time, it makes us less than one, what we once were as we were created in the garden. And it's a reason why we feel shame when we do something wrong. And there's a reason why it sticks with us too. We're altered forever. And it's the first emotion. Shame is the first emotion that you see in the garden, isn't it? You go all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve, they live in harmony with one another. And what happens? As soon as they choose to live their own life, sin enters the world and they are changed. Not just their relationship, but their relationship with God too. They hide from one another. They hide from God. The relationship that they cherished becomes corrupt and cancerous. And we're no different, and Peter's friends were no different than Adam and Eve. 
Notice what he says, though. Move forward just a little bit more. Having purified your souls, it was a problem, now it's not. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth that there's a way out. The shame that they feel, the shame that you might feel, this indelible mark that might be on your soul and heart, Peter is saying that there is a way out. How is it though? How can we be made clean and beautiful and right? By obedience to the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus Christ has come to rescue people like you and me. Jesus died in our place so that you and I can be made clean, holy, and right. So you who have been purified, not just once, but there's this continual picture, there's this continual image of being made more right, being more purified. A new sense of newness. It's out of that that Peter connects devotion to God to something that doesn't seem to connect. And that is, through Jesus, when all of our lives are devoted to him, he points us in a particular direction. The very first people that we live this new reality out with are people that have also been redeemed by Jesus. The gospel story, while you and I, we trust in Jesus personally, it's not just about us. It's never just been about us. It's not about my personal relationship with Jesus alone. It wasn't just about me and him. It's about us and him. It's about us being with him. It's about his family. It's about him displaying love to them through you. And so the gospel calls us to be cleansed, but the gospel also moves us to community. The gospel, it moves us to community, and that's the focus of this section, isn't it? If you've already been made right, if you already have the Spirit sanctifying you and empowering you, if you've been forgiven of sin, what does he say? Love one another. If this reality is in you, then you love one another, both in brotherly love, familial bonds, you care about one another, but there's also this deep abiding fidelity towards one another in loving one another too. When he says brotherly love and then love one another, he's using two really distinct words here to communicate, over-communicate the command. Because Jesus made movement towards us, we make movement towards one another. Believe it or not, this is what the world wants. The world wants to be welcomed somewhere and seen. 
They want to be able to go to a place where they know that they won't be judged or where their needs can be met, where they can be seen and fully seen and accepted. That's hardwired in us. But do you see all the different ways in which we try to do that? When people rally around a cause, that gives a sense of family, doesn't it? And teamwork. I still haven't gone to my first Cardinals game yet. That's September 30th. But man, people love the Cardinals here. There's a family sense here, and there ain't nothing bad with that most of the time. <laughs> people try to find connection and family even through politics. Thomas Hobbes believed that life wasn't worth living unless someone was leading. Let's all find a way to be one big, happy family. But if you notice, here's what the gospel provides. The announcement that Jesus is king and he's come to die in the place of sinners. This is what it grants you and what it grants your friends, your family members that are lost. It grants them relationships that will last forever. Not based upon common interests, and they're not based upon music. They're not based upon baseball teams. If they were, Ian and Mallory wouldn't be here today. <laughs> you feel that, right? It's not even based upon needs or excess, but it's based upon a king that loved his people and gave his life for these people. The gospel provides family, it provides relationship. But notice what he says next. You feel the force of this now, don't you? Love one another earnestly. Love one another earnestly. How many of you have ever called 911 before? Yes. Okay, show of hands. I was four years old and I did. And I was sent to my bedroom. And then I threw a chair through that bedroom. I haven't called 911 since. I hear, though, when you call 911, when there's a real emergency, like your house is on fire, people actually come. Probably. Firefighters, it's a big deal. Could you imagine if you had a crease fire, though, in your kitchen? You call 911, you're waiting around for 30 minutes, you're outside, where are these guys? They show up, and they're just wearing, like, jeans, just wearing a t-shirt, and they're, like, getting dressed in front of your house, all casual-like. No big deal. It's just your house that's burning down, right? They're taking their sweet time, like taking the hose and connecting it to a hydrant. I'm assuming this is how it goes, right? Again, very, very casual, like it's just on their own time. All the while, your Pokemon trading cards are going up in smoke, or your <laughs> Elvis collectible plates, or whatever, whatever it is that you cherish and value. 
because there was no urgency. There was no fervency. There was a constant movement from them. There wasn't intentionality or focus. When Peter says love one another earnestly, he's saying that we love people based on the speed of their life and not mine. When things come up in someone else's life, it is a summons for us to drop what we do so that other people can be cared for well. And this is what the world longs for. They want real connection and they want real community. This doesn't come from anywhere else though other than the gospel of Jesus. Needs change. And personalities change and people change and sports teams change. But what doesn't change? Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed that which will never, ever expire. It's shelf-stable. Through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Do you notice something that's really peculiar about this passage? The Father and the Son and the Spirit are not named. They're not present, per se, in the passage. Do you see that? Fact check me, it's okay. But the Word is. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know that if the Word is present, you know God is present in power Two. And so, because he's eternal, and the word that he announced to us through Peter and other people, that is eternal too. The work that it does in people's lives goes into eternity as well. God's word lasts, and therefore, the work that he does in us lasts, not like the flesh. He says that it's like grass. If you mowed a lawn or you paid Christian Swanner to mow your lawn, you know how frail grass is. It doesn't stick around that long. And the things, the, the, the ties that we try to use to bind us together don't last either. But the word is undefeated and God still reigns and he is eternal and he is immortal. But if the kind of work that he does is imperishable as well, we have to heart check ourselves. If I am redeemed and I have received the gospel of Jesus, do you love brothers and sisters here with the same kind of earnest, eternal love that he has for you? We could say it a different way. Your relationship with God's family 
how you relate to God's family here is in step with how you relate to God. What you believe to be true about him. Every relationship that you have communicates not just to the people here, but to the people outside what you believe to be true about the gospel. And so if there is malice or distrust in our hearts, it communicates anger and frustration and distrust to him. I'm preaching to myself today. we are insecure with other brothers and sisters in here. It's because we don't understand what he's done for us. For selfish with other brothers and sisters, it reveals that we are selfish towards him too. Since God has welcomed us in and he has invited us in and forgiven us, for our sin, and he has empowered us by the Spirit. Family comes out of eternal forgiveness, and brotherhood comes out of being born again. Peter's giving a massive vision for what the New Testament church could look like. But we don't always live up to this. I don't. There are other one another's that we might staple into our Bibles, or we might not say are actually authoritative, but we live them out. Ray Ortland, he said it like this to the, the beautiful one another commands of the New Testament are famous. It's also striking to notice the one another's that don't appear in the New Testament. For example, the Bible does not teach us to sanctify one another. It doesn't teach us to humble one another or scrutinize one another or pressure one another or embarrass one another or corner one another, interrupt one another, defeat one another, sacrifice one another, shame one another, marginalize one another, exclude one another, judge one another. You know what the Bible does say, though? Command alone to love one another. Jesus first gave it to us and he said, I give to you a new law, a new commandment. We see this 16 times in the New Testament. That sounds like it's important. But how do we do that? We're to be devoted to one another. We're to honor one another above ourselves. We're to live in harmony with one another. We're to build one another up. We're to be like-minded towards one another. That is to say that we should seek unity in all things when possible. Should accept one another, admonish one another. That is to say that we should correct one another. Correction and judgment are two very different things. We correct or admonish one another when we see someone that's going off the rails in their life and we plead with them to come back to trust. 
We admonish one another. We greet one another. We welcome them in. We care for one another. We serve one another. We bear one another's burdens. We forgive one another. We're patient with one another, speaking the truth in love to one another. We're to be kind and compassionate to one another. We speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We submit to one another. We consider others better than ourselves. We look to the interests of others. We bear one another's burdens. We teach one another. What would it look like if every person in HBC loved the gospel and knew the gospel in such a fluent way that they felt confident to be able to encourage and teach one another about the mysteries of the Bible? Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up or provoke or stimulate one another to love and good works, employing the gifts that God has given to you for the benefit of others, clothing yourself in humility towards one another, praying for one another, confessing your faults to one another. What does it look like to love one another? It looks like this. Here's the ask. If it is unclear now what the main idea or the action point is today, it is love one another. Singing psalms and spiritual songs to one another and praying for one another and bearing one another's burdens. That's true. I think we would be remiss, though, if we did this with people that are present here, but we forgot about a significant group of people that call Hazelwood Baptist home, but haven't been here in several months or several years. Did you know that we have a homebound list here? There's a group of people that haven't been here in quite some time, either because of transportation or because of sickness or any number of things. There's some people that call this place home that haven't been here in a long time. What would it look like to love them? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> if you look on the, on, the, on the sheet where you're taking notes, there, there are two questions at the bottom of it. Who are you going to connect with in brotherly love? And when are you going to do it? It's easy for us to connect with one another here, okay? Both foyers over here to the side. Look on the tables, because there's a list of people that haven't been here in quite some time. Would you write one or two of their names down and commit to call them and maybe be so bold to ask, can I come over and pray with you? Can we come over and sing, maybe? Pastor Paul and his son and I, we went to visit um, Orville Cox a couple weeks ago. It wasn't my idea to sing. It was actually Pastor Paul's son, David, who started singing Amazing Grace as a way to encourage Orville. It's an awesome time to be around a man who's followed Jesus twice to three times as long 
almost, two and a half times, as I've been alive. And to hear the stories of God's grace and kindness in his life. But a brother like that, Jesus also calls us to love him well too. You write their name down and you write when you're going to contact them for accountability's sake. Scratch their name off of that list, would you, so that other people can see, wait, I need to keep going down the list. There are other people to care for and love well. Follow me? Okay. Church, when we love people well, sin begins to loosen its grip on our hearts. be choked out. Encouragement would abound and needs here that people have, tangible, actual, they would melt away. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today and thank you for the word. Thank you for Peter and his faithfulness and we thank you for the call to love each other well. You picture it so clearly for us. We love you and we love each other because you first loved us. And so I ask today, would you help us love each other like you love them? I ask that you do this, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.